You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, we're going to continue in the series that we're 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 studying. Um, let me go back to our core text. We're going to go back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, and I'll read the same passage we've read in every message so far. And then I'm going to have a little bit of review and in some new material, and then we'll put a bow on it. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, And he himself, Jesus, gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but, or but rather, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So we're talking about growing up. And this is not a physical growing, this is a spiritual growing. We're talking about spiritual development in this series. In our first message, we focused on being spirit-minded aware that we are a spirit. We do have a soul and we're running around this earth in these temporary bodies that don't live forever. But we do live forever. Spirits are eternal. And that we need to be mindful of our spirit man and be developing on the inside, growing in our spirit. In our second message, we looked at what newly born again spirits look like and we made comparisons to natural growth and development. And we looked at several things that were similar Last week, we looked at food for our spirit man. Just as a natural body needs food, your spirit man on the inside needs food. And we saw there are many verses that declare quite plainly, food for your spirit man is the word of God. God's word is food for our spirit. Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. His word is food for our spirit. We looked at 1 Peter 2, 2. says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And just as necessary for a baby to immediately begin taking in food for all of us still today. Is anybody outgrown food? Don't need to eat food anymore? Nope. We still bring in three meals a day or more. Um, at camp, it was or more. <laughs> it was almost five meals a day. But huh, anyway, um, we still take in food. Likewise, for your spirit, man, you need a steady intake of spiritual food in order to maintain healthiness and to continue to grow and develop. And that food is the word of God. So my two primary points from last week was number one, you need the intake of food, but then number two, you need an, not an outtake, but let's change it to inflow. You need an inflow of God's word, but likewise you need an outflow of God's word. Um, we could go back to Ephesians 4.14 um, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, uh, by all those bad things. Verse 15, but, but instead what? 
speaking the truth in love, we grow up. Part of growing is speaking. You need the word coming in as food and nourishment, but then you turn around, you speak that same word. He said, speaking the truth. God's word is the truth that we speak. And as we speak that word back out, that's the exercising of your inner man. The, the outglow of that, that food. Remember, we looked last week there in verse 14 says we should no longer be children. That word children there is the Greek word napios. It's a specific child. It's a child without the power of speech. How do you no longer be a child? You learn to speak. You, you learn to speak God's word. That's the, you, you gain the power of speech. And I, I, we looked at a couple things last week. I want to look at a few more because I want you to see the importance of this. Reading and hearing God's word is nourishment. That's like the intake of food, but then speaking the word is exercise of that food. And I often, I often emphasize every chance I get the importance of reading your Bible every day. And not because I'm having conversations, not because I'm spying on anyone, but just through my experience in this church or other churches like it, most Christians don't do that. There's a whole lot of Christians that never read their Bible and certainly not with any consistency. And so I'm, I don't have anybody in mind. I'm not thinking, I hope so-and-so is listening. It's nothing like that. Just general good advice. Read your Bible every day. You're good at hitting natural food every day. Be sure you get some spiritual food every day. Read your Bible. Get all you can. But then the second component of that is speak it. Uh, one quick example. Go back to your first real experience with God. Okay? When you got born again. How did you get born again? Go back to Romans 10, 9, and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. Was it enough just to believe something? No. It, it was good to believe. It says down in verse 17, that's how faith came. You heard the word, faith came. You believed. But that wasn't enough. What verse 13 say? Uh, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't say whoever believes on the name of the Lord. Now believing's good. Believing's important. But it's not enough. You had to say something. You had to speak something to release that faith, to act on that faith. Uh, the book of James, I'm not going to turn to this one, but James tells us that faith without works is dead. Um, one translation says faith without corresponding actions is dead. It's not enough to get it in you. You have to do something with it. You have to act on it. And most of the time, not all of the time, most of the time, the way you act on the word that gets in you is you speak it. Second Corinthians 4.13 And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, and he's referring to the Psalms, this is written in the Psalms, Paul says, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. It's good to believe, you need to believe. But there's another step. You speak. Give you another example. Mark eleven twenty three. 
Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. Believing does not move mountains. Speaking does. Now there's more going on in that verse, but notice he put three times the emphasis on your mouth that he did on your heart. Now they do have to be in agreement. That's what that word differ means, or the word doubt means to differ. They've got to be in agreement. But speaking is what moves mountains. Uh, Matthew twelve thirty six. Jesus said, but I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He did not say, by your beliefs you'll be justified. By your beliefs you will be condemned. That's not what he's looking at. It's words. Words matter. Words are important. We need to be speaking out the words that we're feeding in from God's Word. It's a part of the process. Um, and it's, it's just like in the natural body. It's not enough just to eat. Most of us try to get away with that. But no. If you want to be strong and developed and healthy, yes, you need to eat healthy food. But then what else is necessary? Exercise. you got to do something. Well, it's the same in your spirit. You need the intake of healthy nourishment, but then you need the outflow of His Word coming out of your mouth. That's how we grow and develop. Okay, so let's go back to Ephesians 4. I'm going to look at verse 11. Um, he says, he, he Himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So let's just analyze that last part. He gave us the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry, for what? He says, for the work of the ministry. And so what I want to remind us is, every Christian has a part to play in the work of the ministry. Are you with me? And some might say, well, and maybe you won't say this, but some might say, Pastor Brian, I'm not called to be a preacher. Okay. You're probably not. Not, not. I'm not speaking specific over anyone, but just look at the numbers. That's a minority in the, in the body of Christ. There's a small number are in the fivefold ministry, and many are not. Are you with me? But that doesn't mean you don't have a part to play in the work of the ministry. That's one of the biggest misconceptions that have ever hindered, even damaged the body of Christ, is this idea that the work of the ministry is done by the fivefold ministers. They're the ones doing the work of the ministry. Do you know what that caused for many churches? The work of the ministry that did get done wasn't done well, and a whole lot of the work of the ministry simply didn't get done. Because the preachers aren't enough to get that done. It's too big, it's too much. And it's a, it's a misunderstanding of that passage. The work of the ministry is far more than pulpit ministry. There's a whole lot more going on. And I'm going to show you an example of that. Let's go to the book of Acts in chapter 6. I'm going to use the New Living Translation. It's just a little more modern and it flows a little easier and it'll make all the same points for us. Acts chapter 6 verse 1. We're in the early church, not long after Pentecost. Um, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, 
there were rumblings of discontent. Not everybody happy. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So what we've got going on is one of the works of the ministry for that early church was they had a lot of widows, and it was their place to take them food on a daily basis, and there's scripture that talks about that. In fact, most of the social programs are covered in scripture, and by God's design, social programs are supposed to be done by the church. This is not my message today, but there is concern in me that the church of of God as a whole, in our nation at least, will stand in judgment before God for letting our government take over social programs that he mandated the church do. Just saying. How do we get those back? Have to follow his lead. But we've let go of something that we weren't supposed to. Well, not my message today. Isn't it interesting? So we're early in the early, again, not my message, but here's another freebie. We're early in the early church. Um, they're not that, they're just getting going. People, there was like, what, 5,000 saved when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and a, another few thousand. I mean, things are booming in Jerusalem. Things are going on. So I don't know if this is the first, but it's certainly one of the first ways the enemy turned around to attack the church to stop its forward progress. And what tool did he use? Racial discrimination. Isn't that interesting? Tried to get one race to tell the other race we're being discriminated against. Racial discrimination is not a new tool of the enemy. It's a very old one. And we should recognize when he's trying to use that. Hmm. So let's keep reading. I'm not preaching on discrimination today either, but just begin to recognize the the handiwork of the devil. Recognize it when you see it. Uh, Verse 2, So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, I don't know if I'm saying these right, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, I don't know. Nicholas of Antioch, I feel good about that one, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who then prayed for them and laid their hands on them. And so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. What was going on? Everything I just talked about. Feeding their their food uh, their food program to feed the widows was entirely valid. That's a work of the ministry. That's something that, that if that need presents itself, the church needs to take care of. Absolutely. Um, but it was too much for the fivefold. What they weren't getting their own job done, and they weren't getting the food pantry done right either, and people were getting missed, and they recognized. This isn't working. So what did they say? 
We need help. We need some believers to step up and take this piece of ministry. We're going to give you the ministry of the food program. And go make sure the widows are taken care of because they are valuable to us. And Scripture commands us to take care of the widows. And so it was all valid. But see what they did? They got men, believers from the church, who weren't necessarily preachers, although Stephen did kind of take off that way. But they said, you need to carry this piece of ministry. And then what did they do? They qualified him. Did you see the qualifications to be able to go deliver food to a widow? Um, full of the Holy Ghost? Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Did you see that? And then what did the apostles do? Uh, prayed over them? Laid hands on them? What's that telling us? There was a transfer of anointing on them. That's what laying on of hands is usually about. And there was a transfer of anointing on those seven men to be anointed by God to go take food to the widows. You see that? Don't tell me it was just a busy work of taking food to some ladies, or maybe men, I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. There was an anointing for that. I wonder how many anointings there are for works of ministry that many never tap into because they never think that there's an anointing for that. I don't know, I'm thinking out loud. Whatever He calls you to do, He will anoint. We need to tap into that. You could have the best food program ever. People don't know what's so wonderful about your food program, but you know what Holy Spirit is all over what you're doing. He's anointed you to do it. Okay, I better get back to this. So, when the the church wasn't helping with the work of the ministry and it was up to all the preachers, what happened? Well, there was complaining and murmuring and discontent. But then when the believers stepped up and carried that piece of ministry, then what happened? Church grew. Things began to explode. Everything was done better and with more excellence. Do you see that? That's the pattern there. Hmm. So back in Ephesians 4.12 again, it says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So how do we properly put that in order? The fivefold ministry in the previous verse, the, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, their primary job is to, to equip the saints. And then a properly equipped saint does the work of the ministry. Now, if the preacher's doing his job well, what's the fruit? What's the product that's produced? properly equipped saints. And if the saints are doing their job well, what's the fruit? An edified body. What's that word edify mean? Um, that's the Greek word oikodome. And it means the act of building or building up. That's the work of the ministry. Whether we are building the church by adding more people to it, by preaching the gospel and getting people saved, robbing them from hell. I heard a preacher call it raising hell, only he spelled it R-A-Z, I think it's I-N-G, from the word raise, R-A-Z-E. That's accurate. What? Robbing people of a destiny in hell and getting them into the kingdom. There's one way to build the church. But what's the other half of that? Building up the church we have. Loving on each other. Strengthening each other. Being there for each other, helping each other, edifying. That's part of building up also. And all of that is work of the ministry. 
And it can take in all kinds of flavors. I can't begin to even guess all the different ways that we could do works of the ministry. What I can say is, every one of us have a place. Every one of us have something that he's asking us to do that builds the church. In one way, the other, or both. We all have a place to play. Now, individually, that's between you and the Lord. If you haven't already, you should be in your prayer closet saying, Lord, what's my piece? What's my part to play? What would you have me to do? And he'll have an answer for that because we all have a part to play. Um, whether that be individually or even corporately. I'm pretty much expecting the Lord to begin to show us things corporately that as a church, we have pieces of ministry that would build the church. That, that's, that's how this works. But every believer has a responsibility to be a part of the work of the ministry somewhere. Now, some might say, well, Pastor Brian, I'm not qualified to do that work of the ministry. I mean, when I walked in this morning, I didn't feel qualified. And then you gave that example of the food program and how they had to be full of the Holy Ghost and full of wisdom. And, and now I feel even less qualified. No, 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 no. Think about this logically. Anytime you're learning to do something, is it just classroom? That's kind of where I want to go with this. Is it that you just go to classroom and you do a bunch of book study and you listen to lectures about everything you need and now you are fully qualified to go do everything you want to do? Is that how it works? No, not usually, if hardly ever. What do you really need? On-the-job training. No matter how much classroom you had, you don't really start to learn until you start to do. And it almost doesn't matter what it is. When you first start doing it, you're far from expert. You learn as much doing as you ever did in a classroom. But as you do and you learn and you start getting in the habit of things and you figure out how to do things, and, and let's be honest, you make some mistakes. But if you're smart, you learn from those mistakes and you try not to make them again. And you keep learning. You, and over a period of time, then you get very good at what you're doing. Now, I will say, this is not in my notes, but if you tap into that anointing, you'll learn quicker. He'll help you learn. But you're not going to know everything the first time you start. So don't get this idea, I'm not qualified. Get qualified. How? Start doing. Whatever it is he's leading you to do, start doing. I remember the story of, of one of my Bible instructors. When I was in Bible school, he gave the example, and I've never quite lived this example. Um, when he had just graduated from Bible school, he, he recognized, I'm young, and I have no idea what I'm doing. And he, he began to pray, and he said, there's two things I know I need. He says, I need to be doing the right work, and I need to be associated with the right people. Because that'll influence. And so here was his prayer. He said, Lord, put me in situations and connect me with the right people that will cause me not only to grow the quickest, but the most solid, that I be well-grounded. That was his prayer. Good prayer. You might say dangerous prayer. Because <laughs> what happened? In less than a year, in a matter of months, he was hired by that same Bible school, became a teacher, started teaching classes in that Bible school, 
And then on nights and weekends, he'd go out and travel as a, a traveling preacher. And he said, before I knew what happened, he says, I was averaging 25 times a week preaching the Word. He says, I got to a point where I crawled into my prayer closet a little exhausted and said, Lord, it's too much. And he says, you know what the Lord said to me? You asked for it. Reminds me of the fruit of the Spirit. How do you grow in love? You start loving. And it's not the people easy to love that really give you a good exercise. It's the people hard to love. Uh, most often from, from several of you, I hear it when we talk about patience. How you grow in patience? You get in put, put in situations where you have to exercise patience. And I've heard more than one of you say, I've never asked God for more patience. Because <laughs> he's going to answer that prayer and you're going to get put in situations where you have to be patient. The reality is, yeah, we need that. What? We need to work out. We need to be put in situations that stretch us and strengthen us because it's by resistance that you grow. Just like your human muscles, you need the resistance. Spiritual muscles are no different. We grow in love by walking in love, and especially when it's not easy. It could be many other things. How about cooking? Maybe you want to learn how to cook. Well, that's a good thing. But you could read all the cookbooks you could get your hands on. And you could watch every cooking show on TV. And with cable, you could be busy doing that for a while. Um, you could even make friends with all the best chefs in your area. But until you get in a kitchen and start working with food, you're not going to learn how to cook. What? Developing comes from doing. Doing is how you grow. Um, another example, I was thinking of, I don't know why I was thinking of this, but I was thinking of, of the drywallers, but not the ones that hang it, the ones that mud. The ones that put the mud on the drywall and hide the seams and make it just look flawless. Because I, I did some of that when, in the first time I was learning how to, I was remodeling a bathroom. This was years ago, and I was going to do it myself. I've learned that typically the people that hang the drywall are different from the people that mud because you usually like one or the other. Rarely do you like both. Now, there may be exceptions, but as a general rule. Um, and I got myself a video. And in this video, it said, if you wanted to do this for a living and you started doing this 40 hours a week, so you are mud and drywall 40 hours a week, they said, you'll do it for six months before you're up to just normal. Just be an average at what you do. I'm like, how am I going to do this bathroom? <laughs> I learned some lessons in that bathroom. I learned how to put it on too thick and how to do a whole lot of sanding. At one time, I had a hose and a fan. I'm just blowing dust out a side window, blowing white in the yard because I'm in the bathroom with a mask on, just sanding and sanding for days. I learned that lesson the hard way. But no matter what it is, you, you could watch all the drywalling videos you want to. You could get every episode of This Old House. You could follow Bob Vila on social media. Good for you, but until you start doing you're not really growing. Crystal had an interesting one um, well, along these lines, only it, it was not a good example. Um, it was, no, 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 not you. You, but not you. Let me finish. Um, her last year of college was our first year of marriage. 
I know, I know. But we were engaged, and we recognized that her last year of school was going to be over the top because she had a full class load. But on top of that, she had a full on-the-job training. She had clinicals, and it did not leave any time to go work a job to actually make money and pay your bills. And we kind of figured out if we go ahead and get married, then I'll work the full-time job, and I'll try to keep the bills paid while she finishes school. And so that was kind of our plan. Well, in that last year, she had one class where she'd be in the classroom with the professor who's saying, now here's how you do this, and you do A, B, and C, and then X, Y, Z, and that's how we do it. Well, then she'd go into the -the on-the-job training, and in the field, they're like, no, we do it this way, and you do this, 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 and this. Well, then she'd go back in the classroom, and it's test day, and he says, now how do you do this? And well, she's saying, well, you got to do this, this, and this, just like she learned on the job. And then the professor stands up and says, no, that's all wrong. That's not how we do it. And she figured out real quick, that professor was detached from his own field. I was him or her, her, I don't remember. They had spent all their time in the classroom and had no on the job, no in the field themselves. And the field had progressed beyond them. They had evolved and adapted and learned new things. And in the field, she was learning the right way. And the professor was behind the times. You could have all the classroom you want, but if you're not in doing you'll not be developing. That professor had stopped developing, had stopped growing, and the field left him or her, I don't remember. But you understand, it's not enough just to have the intake. You've got to have the outflow. You've got to do the doing. It's the only way you're going to grow. How does that apply with us? You'll never develop in prayer until you start to pray. You'll never develop in your love walk until you start to walk in love. Brace yourself. All the fruit of the Spirit. You'll not grow in patience until you learn to exercise some patience. Here's the one that's fun. You'll not grow in long-suffering. That's the fruit of the Spirit. hate to remind you of that one. But you'll not grow in long-suffering until you start doing some long-suffering. What's that mean? You're going to suffer long with some people. You're just going to grin and bear it and love them. How much long-suffering does our Father do with us? I've seen people run, run from the work of the ministry. I've seen people run from churches because they don't want to go through any long suffering. Sorry, it's in every church. You're not going to find a church that doesn't have that in it. Why? It's the fruit of the Spirit. You'll not grow in worship until you begin to worship. You'll not grow in evangelism until you begin to share your faith with someone. It's in the doing that you develop. So what's your work? What's he asking you to do? Now I'll say this, and I'm working toward a close. I'm I'm almost there. There's kind of two sides to this doing that I see. And the first one won't surprise anybody. There are certain things in you that God has already placed in you that you're good at, that he wants to use for his purposes. And that doesn't surprise anyone. There's just some people that have a knack at certain things. Uh, we were talking the, like the food program a minute ago. There are just some ladies who know how to cook. They know their way around a kitchen and it doesn't take them very much to produce a high quality product and we can just go, you can minister to a lot of people with food. 
I've seen that done a lot in the last couple of years, especially with this COVID shutdown. I've seen people just turn to a food ministry and just start winning people to the Lord left and right. I'm telling you, food is a tool. And there are some people that that's just, they're just naturally good at that. And so don't be surprised at all if God wants to use something that you're already really good at and he's going to find a way to bless the kingdom with it. Here's the one we don't see coming. Likewise, don't be surprised if he asks you to do something that you're not good at, that maybe you've never done before, maybe you've never even thought of. Well, there could be a couple of reasons. Maybe he wants to teach you something new. Maybe there is a new skill or a new trade that he wants you to develop in, and so he's leading you to learn how to do that. That could be. You know another factor? I'll just tell you this about your father. He likes to put you in situations where you know you can't produce so that you have no choice but rely on him. And you watch him produce something through you that you know, that wasn't me. That was him. I don't know where that came from. I don't know how he did that. That was God. It'll humble you and it'll remind you how big he is. You'll find that a lot. If I were to differentiate the two, a lot of times those things we're naturally good at, those are usually in our soul giftings, uh, the giftings in Romans chapter 12 or 13, the motive gifts. There are certain things you were literally born with. They're in your personality. They're in your giftings. He gave them to you at birth, and they're in your soul. There's nothing wrong with those. They're wonderful. That's where most people start when they serve the Lord. But he's also put things in your spirit that were put in there when you were born again. Those will usually come as a surprise to you because they will be very different than what's in your soul. They're not things you're aware of necessarily. And many times he'll bring something out of you that you didn't know was there. But you will recognize, that's all him. That's not me. So no matter what he asks you to do, just be faithful. And whether it comes easy or it comes as a challenge, just be ready. Because if you'll be faithful, there's an anointing for that. And he will empower you to do what it is he's asking you to do. Now recognize this. Here's my last little piece. Everything we do is a season. When it comes to these works of the ministry, they're kind of a season. I'll I'll give this example. It's like climbing a mountain. And I use that that example because that's the one the Lord used with me when I first stepped into pastoring. Um, right before I stepped into this office, he said that to me. He said, I see you as climbing a mountain. And there was a lot to learn from that illustration. Um, because I'll be honest, I didn't step into this role because I'd prepared for it my whole life and it was my life's dream and I felt 110% qualified. Are you kidding me? I fought with him. How many of you have this testimony? Here is my testimony. The first time the Lord ever spoke to me about pastoring a church. I rebuked him. I told him to get behind me. I'm not exaggerating. I was convinced that had to be the devil. I'm serious. It was not. (laughs) And he's so patient. Remember that long suffering thing? He's so patient. And he kept coming back and he kept, and it took years. He kept coming back. So then when I stepped in, he said, I see you climbing a mountain. Think about climbing a mountain. You're first learning to do something new. 
You're conscious of every step. Why? Well, for one thing, every step is uphill. And every step is new. And you're watching every step to make sure. Now, is this a short, because you don't want to slip. Because then what's that mean? Tumble back down a mountain. So you become very conscious of every step and everything you're doing. And you're watching every step. And you're working at it. And it's uphill the whole way. You're developing a new skill, maybe, or just something unknown. But I want to remind you, it's a season. Every mountain has a mountain top. And eventually you'll crest the top. Now, when you're climbing a mountain, sometimes it seems just huge because all you can see in front of you is mountain. And every step is just more mountain. And it can maybe be a little overwhelming. But if you'll just stick with it, eventually you'll get to the top. And, and all of a sudden now you're back on level ground. And the walking's a little easier. And the view changes. And a lot of things just come in with clarity that you couldn't see while you were climbing. And so we just have to be faithful and recognize if he's taking you into something new, it's a season, it'll be work, it'll be effort, and you're learning some new stuff. But trust him, lean on him, and know it's a season. Eventually I'll get to the top of this, and my view will change, and it'll get easier, and I'll produce more fruit. But you just have to hang in there. So always remember that with each mountain there's work, new experiences, new responsibilities new anointings. And if you do it right, what's waiting at the top of the mountain? Promotion. God is a rewarder. And He will always reward every effort that you give Him. That's His nature. Can I say it this way? It's His passion. He loves to reward His kids. Hebrews talks about that. But above all else... There's growth. Growth comes by doing. Amen? Amen.